You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, and I am fine. I'm just (laughs) fine. I, I was asked by our listener, Stephanie, who wanted me to say this at the top of the at the top of the show. I don't know why. I guess she just thought it'd be funny. So there you go. <laughs> yes, Rafer, you're fine. But also you are the film critic for Newsday. <laughs> yes, that too. And in each episode of movie therapy, you and I, Kristen, offer up questionable advice and solid television and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. Indeed we do. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists. We are not real doctors, but we are real TV and movie critics. So let's open this mailbag, Rafer. Let's get to some patience. All right. First up is Unsure Emily. Unsure Emily says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I just moved cross country where I basically don't know anyone. Before moving here, I started dating someone new. Due to some weird circumstances, it has essentially been long distance the entire time, although he will be moving to where I am in a couple months, independent of me. At first, I was so excited about this relationship because he is so kind, loving, and supportive. I care about him so much, but I'm just not sure if I'm feeling it anymore. This makes me incredibly sad, but I'm trying to be honest with both of us. So, what would you prescribe? Ooh. Emily, wow. Ouch. Quite a pickle there, but uh, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. You're being honest with yourself about it. Yep. You're being honest with him about it. And he's a grown-up. You're a grown-up. He can do what he wants with that information as long as you're, you know, being straightforward, being kind and clear with him. I think you're going to be totally fine. I think that's true. Um, Yeah, I think, um, well, one thing occurs to me. I just got to wonder if he moved there independent of you. <gasps> Ooh. I I just, I don't know. That just seems awfully coincidental. Ooh. And listen, and that's, and that is not to say anything about, about unsure Emily, our listener. I mean, he, this is a grown, a grown adult who's making his own decisions. And, you know, um, I don't think you can uh, be held responsible for that. The, people do what they do when they're grown, grown men and women and they are they have their eyes open. Um, but I'm just I am hoping that our listener is being honest with this guy, just like you were saying, Kristen. Sounds like she's being honest with herself. I do hope she's being honest with the guy. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope so, too. I mean, my mind just went to, oh, maybe it's Washington, D.C., because you both work as lobbyists or you both work in government or whatnot. And, but <laughs> wow, what if, it, what, what if it just happens to be that you're both moving to Wichita? And why? <laughs> no offense to Wichita, but you know what I'm saying. I ju- there just happened to be a great job there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I guess the other thing I would say is, look, you know, I don't know. These things happen. And, um, you know, things, things, things don't always work out. And it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not always, it doesn't always have to be someone's fault, I guess I would say. That's, that's what sort of occurs to me about it. Yeah, I love that, Rafer. It doesn't have to be anyone's fault. 
And it's totally fine that you were excited about him at one point. And maybe you were excited about him because he seemed like kind of a, you know, safety net, a, a safe way to land. Could and be. now you're realizing you don't need that safety net anymore. Could uh, be. Who knows what the reason is. But regardless, it's okay just as long as you're kind and clear. That's, yes. That's my take on it. You, yes. You know, you don't even have to necessarily give a reason. You can just say, I don't know why, but I just don't think this is a good idea anymore. Or I don't feel this anymore or whatever you want to say, as long as you're kind and clear. Oh, boy, that's a whole different podcast. Breaking up with people who won't break up with you unless you give them the reason. Uh, that's a whole oh. different. We got to we could go a whole show, oh if not a whole season on that. Gosh. Man. You know what, folks? You're not going to get the reason you want. You don't. No matter what the reason is, it's never going to be the reason you want. <laughs> you don't have to give one either. Um, exactly. Oh, exactly. Boy. I have, oh gosh, how many late nights did I stay up listening to my girlfriends <laughs> cry over, but what was the real reason? It's okay. Let it go. You might never get a real reason. You're never I think the get reason it. is it's not going to happen. <laughs> The reason is it's over. <laughs> okay, so on that note, slight digression there, but on that note, Kristen, um, what are you going to prescribe for uh, Unsure Emily? All right, Unsure Emily, I am going to prescribe a frothy, easily digestible, feel-good macaroni and cheese kind of show. It ran from 2011 to 2018 on Fox, New Girl, starring Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yes, yes. You would think as a Zoe Deschanel fan that I would have watched New Girl, but I never have. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of surprised you didn't because, yeah, I know she's totally up your alley, but... She sure is. <laughs> but for anyone who doesn't know the premise of New Girl, New Girl centers on Jess. She's a bubbly, quirky, some people say adorkable teacher in her 30s. <laughs> She comes home to find her boyfriend Spencer in bed with another woman, leaves him immediately, peruses the ads on Craigslist, and finds a loft with three dudes the same age as her, and they are her new roommates. She's now in a new neighborhood, a new apartment. She's got new friends. She's starting a new life. It's a whole new fresh start. But a part of her still agonizes over that relationship. Why did it end that way? Oh my God, I'm so sad over this. But you know what? It had to end. And she has a new family now, she has a new life, and she has the opportunity to get up to lots of new ridiculous adventures. Here's a clip. I'm sorry. We're going to have to ask you to give up the table. Can I please just stay just a little bit longer? We're here! No, we're here, Josh. We're here. You have the date. Date thing. You're all on a date? Yeah, we, uh, uh, we're her boyfriends. We are reverse Mormons. One man just isn't enough for her. Okay. Hey, Jess, that guy was a jerk. He was a clown. You guys missed your party to come here and see me? Yeah, we, uh, we care about you. We like you. That's so nice. What is that? Don't start crying. Come on. It's, it's cool. It's very, very Come on, cool. Jess. Come on. Stop it! It's okay. Hey, don't cry. Frog? Head? The time of my life. What is he doing? And I've never felt this way before. Yes, it's true. Na 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 na. And it's something. something in my house. Well, I'm glad to hear that she was that she's playing someone adorable, as you say. <laughs> um, because wasn't there a? Show, am I am I mixing that one up with the the show that's the the bee in apartment something? Oh, I love that show. Yeah. You like that show too, but that's about someone who's kind of like a bad person and sort of an irritating person. Yeah, that's Kristen Ritter. Yeah, she's terrible. Oh, it's so Ritter. fun okay, to watch. Okay, all right, good. Yeah. All right, okay, different show. Anyway, continue, continue, <laughs> Kristen. Well, the reason I am prescribing this show, Unsure Emily, is because I think you have the potential to be just like Jess. You can be that young woman having a new fresh start in a new place with new friends, learning new things about yourself, making mistakes, having fun, wearing cute little vintage dresses, doing whatever you want to do. You clearly want to be. And here's the good news. You can do it minus the cheating on the new girl. You don't have to deal with the heartache of the cheating. You can just deal with that challenging conversation and that conversation doesn't have to last long. It can be a few minutes. It doesn't have to be something that's stretched out and agonizing. You can have that conversation, as I said earlier, clearly and kindly. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. These conversations always suck. They never are fun. They always, always suck. Yep. But when it's all done, 
you'll be able to start your next adventure on your terms with a clean conscience. And I know you can do it. And I know you're going to have such a great time afterward. I remember one time, Rafer, after I went through a really tough breakup because the relationship had dragged on way too long. And when the relationship finally ended, you said, but aren't you relieved? (laughs) And I said, you know what, Rafer, I am. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. But unsure, Emily, you're going to feel so good afterward. When Rafer or somebody else says to you, but don't you feel relieved? You are going to feel relieved. So yeah. go out there, do that. Start your new life like Jess does. Make lots of mistakes. Have lots of fun. Just be kind, be clear, and continue to do what you're already doing, which is be honest with yourself and with others. But Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to unsure Emily here? Well, I'm not going to prescribe something uh, light and frothy. I'm not going to prescribe anything depressing, though. But I am going to prescribe a weeper which I think might be kind of cathartic. Uh, and it is really one of my favorite movies. Um, it's from ye old 1973. It is The Way We Were with Barbara Streisand and oh, Robert Redford. Yes, yes, yes. And I just, I got to say this movie, I'm getting a little emotional just thinking about it. Oh, man. This movie will give you all the feels. It, it definitely really will. will give you all the feels. Yeah, yeah. And they both look terrific in it, by the way. Oh, God, they both do. That's exactly. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let me give you the story. If you haven't seen The Way We Were, which is a, a movie that for as famous as it is, I think a lot of younger people, um, I think it sort of fell off the radar sort of after its release. I don't feel like it's got that kind of classic imprimatur the way a lot of other movies do. Um, So anyway, Barbara Streisand plays uh, a woman named uh, Katie Morosky. Robert Redford plays a guy named Hubble Gardner. (laughs) They know each other at college, um, but they couldn't be more different. She's Jewish. She's a political activist. She's a Marxist. She's principled. She's moral to a fault. She sees wrong in the world, and she will not rest until she writes it. He's a wasp. He doesn't really care about politics. He's smart and he's talented and creative and he could do anything if he put his mind to it. He's probably not going to put his mind to it and he'll probably do great anyway. And they're kind of attracted to each other at college. They're, they're like aware of each other, but the social cliques at college are just, they're, they're too rigid. They can't cross the line. Uh, nothing ever happens. Flash forward a few years He's just served in World War II. She's at some rabble-rousing New York radio station. They're adults now. They re-meet. They can have a drink, and then they can have a date. One thing leads to another, and then eventually they're married. But they find that the differences between them, you know, uh, they don't disappear. Um, and Hubble finds himself uh, in uh, working in Hollywood as a screenwriter, And uh, he gets wrapped up in the House Un-American Activities Committee, the naming of names. This obviously rubs Katie Morosky, the the Marxist, uh, the wrong way. And suddenly they find themselves sort of at loggerheads over this issue. And here's a clip. I'm sorry, I really didn't expect this. You didn't expect to come to Hollywood and get a chance to tell off the world either, did you? Is that what you think I'm doing? You bet I do. I'm not telling off the world, Hubble. I'm just standing up for something I believe in. Doesn't it make you angry listening to Bissinger ridicule those men, calling them martyrs just because they have guts, which he doesn't, to fight for their principles, to fight for their Bill of Rights, his Bill of Rights and yours? Bill of Rights? What Bill of Rights? We don't have any Bill of Rights. We don't have free speech in this country. We never will have. We never will if people aren't willing to take a stand for what's right. We never will have because people are scared. This isn't college. This is grown-up politics, Katie. Now, Rafer, I'm curious. I was saying earlier, I think that both Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford look terrific in this movie. And you said, pause that thought. (laughs) Well, you know, the only reason I say that is because um, it's kind of one of the reasons that I'd never seen this movie. Um, You know, for years and years and years, I just never had any interest in seeing the way they were. Partly because it's, you know, it's Barbara Streisand, it's Robert Redford, and they're sort of beautiful, and the movie looks really schlocky, and the theme song is, like, really schlocky. I mean, that is a... That is I a love sh- that theme you song. You do? Oh, God. Memories. Like the corners of my mind. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I just, it's so, uh, oh, my God, just the strings and the, it. I, I don't know, I just... And the romance, romance movies from the 70s, that's sort of not my, that's not my thing. I like the thrillers, I like the dramas, I like the, you know, the action movies. But the romances of the 70s, I don't know. Anyway, I wound up having to write a book about Union Station 
uh, not a book, an essay, I should say, an essay for a book on Union Station, Union Station in, in L.A., which if you're not from L.A., you may not know it, it, but it's this kind of art deco gem in Los Angeles. A number of movies were filmed there, um, some old film noirs, and then um, The Dark Knight Rises was filmed there. Anytime a, anytime a director wants to kind of go noir, they, they shoot something at at Union Station if they can. And so I had to do all this research, and one of the most famous examples of Union Station uh, was filmed at in the way they were. There's a famous scene that takes place in the restaurant, the now-closed restaurant in Union Station. So I had to watch the way they were, and I was expecting very little, and I was just so moved and so captivated by what a, like, what a real grown-up, movie it was it was like a a real relationship watching everything unfold on screen everyone is so multi-dimensional they're so flawed but they're so appealing and you just you want them to be together so badly but they just can't do it and you and it's not it's not forced it's not contrived uh the way so many kind of weepy romances are you understand why this relationship is not working out they are they are they have some common ground but they are just too different and they can't make it work and it's as i say i don't think it's a depressing movie it is a it's a it's a it's a three hanky movie but you get to the end and you just feel like it's no one's fault nobody wrecked anything no one no one hurt anybody in some horrible way no one ruined the relationship it just wasn't going to last so i guess that was that was sort of what i took away from it was this feeling of like sometimes things just don't work out and it's heartbreaking but you got to get over it and you got to move on and so that's why i'm recommending the way we were oh that's that's a beautiful recommendation reefer and i like to look at it this way it's not that it didn't work out it's that it had a shelf life you know what exactly that was great for a time and in the case of you unsure emily uh this long distance romance that was great for a time it gave you something that you needed at the time you don't need that thing anymore and it's okay for it to end there's no good guys or bad guys here it's just done and that's fine it's totally okay just like the way they were I think that's right. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you like the movie because I feel like critics were a little so-so on it. And I don't feel like I don't feel like it's considered to be one of these great movies, but I like I totally think it is. I think it's a good movie, Rafer. Really is. Great. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that. Okay, so so then we've got recommendations are from Kristen, New Girl, and from me, The Way We Were. All right. We're gonna take a quick break, but before we do do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com, and fill out the contact form there. You do not have to use your real name. You can be one of our many Emilys or any other name. And while you're there, check out our prescription pad where we list every movie and TV show we've ever prescribed on the show. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who's struggling with her to-do list. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call out the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Ari Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barrow, Steve Arkett, Thomas Mildred, and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, what does patient number two have to say? All right. Well, patient number two is named Cheryl. Cheryl writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, summer is drawing to a close for me. I'm a high school teacher and I start my year in a few days. Since we were basically stuck at home all summer, I had big plans. I was going to finish unpacking from our recent move, you know, those boxes that are filled with random stuff that doesn't really go anywhere. I was going to go on long walks with our one-year-old Labrador. I was going to spend loads of quality time with my three kids. But sadly, none of those things happened. While I did relax a lot at home, which I sorely needed after the last school year, I can't help but feel disappointed that I barely did anything on my to-do list. Is there anything you can recommend for me that will help me either accept this reality about how my year is going to start or to motivate me to be productive around the house in the evenings after a day of dealing with 13 to 14-year-olds? I will just say that if, if I knew how to be productive around the house in the evening after a day of dealing with 13 to 14-year-olds, I would bottle that and I would sell it. <laughs> And I would make millions. I think it's called cocaine, Rafe. But we're not that kind of doctor. We're not that kind of therapist. <laughs> Martinis help too. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's a really temporary solution, I find. I think those help you to not do your to do list. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, they help you not to care. Um, yeah, it's yeah. You've got to listen. I think uh, Cheryl, our listener here, is probably going through a lot of the same things that everyone is going through. Oh yeah, Cheryl, this might make you feel better. I just had an entire summer where I was home completely alone, and I had an entire to-do list of things that I wanted to do because you know, my family was off. Uh, they had decamped for the summer, but I had to stay here for a couple of reasons. One, I was moving to a new apartment. Uh, two, I had to work. My wife, you know, was able to work remotely. I'm not. So I was alone the entire summer. I, I, I moved our entire apartment, but all the stuff that I wanted to do for myself, all the creative projects I wanted to do, all the movies that I wanted to see, this, that, friends I wanted to see, I didn't get to do any of that stuff. I just Stuff just got in the way. I got too lazy. I got too tired. You know, I got to the end of the day of, you know, unpacking boxes and then, you know, I was going to go, oh, check out this bar and oh, I got to call this friend and oh, I, I, I meant to write three pages of this project and I meant to read this book and I never did any of that stuff. And I was alone. <laughs> I had, I had, you know, I had, I had no 13, 14 year olds, you know, uh, calling for my attention. It was just me. So I can't, I can't blame anybody for that. So maybe that might make you feel a little better, Cheryl. Well, I have a different take on things, Rafer. Okay. I think that you and Cheryl did a lot. I mean, come on. Yes. You you both moved. Moving is so much work. Yes. We can't underestimate how emotionally, physically, and logistically exhausting it is to move. Oh, my God. The fact that both it's, you and Cheryl did that, I feel like... And it's ongoing. Yeah. And it's like, you can just say for the rest of the year, I'm taking it off. I'm not doing anything else on my to-do list this year because I moved apartments this summer. That's enough in my mind. And you know what else is enough? Giving yourself the mental space to just relax, to not look at that to-do list, to do things that are restorative to you, even if that thing is just having a martini at the end of the day or laying on the couch or recording a podcast with your friend Kristen Meinzer, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be all those items on the to-do list. It can just be something like that. That's fine. I totally agree. I to that's that's uh, that's what my own therapist would call self care. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, you take care of yourself. You, you nourish yourself a little bit. I do. I do think that stuff is extremely important. It's, it's something I'm terrible at, and I've never done that uh, my entire life. But uh, lately, I've tried to get a little more, a little more into that. Yeah. I mean, it's important, and. It should be at the top of everybody's to-do list. Take care of me. Yes. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah. So Cheryl, Rafer, you're both doing fine. And on that note, that's why I am prescribing a little TV show called We Are Lady Parts. Do you know this, Rafer? No. <laughs> no, I do not. You don't know it, really? No. I thought for sure you would love this show because you are so punk rock. You're so into really great music. And this is a TV show that's all about a punk band. So I thought you would like I, it. I've never heard of this. Oh, no. my God. Rafer. Okay. So I'm going to tell you and tell everybody else about it. 
We Are Lady Parts centers on a character named Amina Hussein. She's a geeky PhD student in East London who has a very long to-do list that includes completing her biochemistry research, maintaining her friendship with her religiously conservative best friend, finding a husband that's very high on her list, serving as a volunteer with the children in her community. The list goes on and on and on. Wow. But all of that falls by the wayside when she joins an all-Muslim, all-female punk rock group called We Are Lady Parts. Here's a clip. Listen, I told you I'm not going to play in your group. I'm not in a group. Fucking hell, we're in a band. Think The Clash meets Dickless with a lashing of dead Barbie. But a bit shit. Yet totally unique. We cordially invited to be in our band. Why? You, you saw what happened. Puke aside, we think you're good. Ish. Plus, bodily fluids are less frowned upon in punk. Punk? No, sorry, I can't. We know what you want. What? Microbiology PhD student looking for male, medium to devout Muslim, enjoys mini golf and stimulating conversation. Oh, you're reaching. Reaching for the D. No, no, I'm looking for a husband to settle. To settle. Onto some D. Juvenile. Yep. Listen, audition with us for Sound Smash, and Aisha will set you up with their brother. You know Hassan. Son, what? Wait, uh, Hassan is, is your brother? I'm aware of him, yes. Well, it's a pretty good title. I know! It's so good, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Now, let me explain why I am prescribing We Are Lady Parts. As Amina gets more and more involved in her punk band, we see her falling asleep in the lab. We see her lying to her best friend about her whereabouts. We see her developing delusions about her love life. Over and over again, she vows, I'm going to quit the band. I'm going to get my life back on track. But here's the thing. Her life's not really off track. Being in the band is not a bad thing. It's filling her heart and her spirit. It's giving her a chance to be creative. It's helping her to develop new social skills. It's helping her to speak up for herself and face her fears. So, Hmm. yeah, the band was never on her to-do list but it might be exactly the thing she needs. And Cheryl, maybe taking the summer off was exactly the thing that you needed. It's not a bad thing. Do that thing that you needed to do, even if that thing feels like nothing. I love this. Uh, I love this. the sound of this show. Um, I'm going to ask you what I always ask. Uh, is it kid-friendly? Oh, yeah. Oh, is it really? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think your kids would love it. Oh, that's great. You know, because my ki- I've, I have successfully turned my 13-year-old into a rock fan. <gasps> oh, good. And so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's going to love it. So this could be, this maybe this could be right up both our alleys. Well, it's only, I think, six episodes, and it's oh. on Peacock, Channel 4 if you're in the UK. So it's a very low lift. Each episode's only like 25 minutes, so it's not a huge commitment. Okay. And it's just really fun. And that little punk rock girl inside of you, Rafer's going to just be shaking your fist at the sky <laughs> and being like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you know I had a little punk rock girl inside of me? I have been friends with you long <laughs> enough. I know this stuff, Rafer. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Okay. All right. I'm going to watch that. All right. But Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Cheryl? Well, I'm going to prescribe a new documentary that just came out on Netflix uh, about the painter Bob Ross, who I think we all know. Now, the, now you'll have to uh, bear with me through the title of this, which sounds extremely dark. The title is Bob Ross. Happy accidents, betrayal, and greed. Ooh. But Ooh, um, what's, what's going on with that fan brush? Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> exactly. my God. The knife, the Mars black, the titanium white. What's happening with everything? I know. I know. Well, and, and what I, I do want to say, um, just right off the bat, that this is not an expose of Bob Ross. No one's no your hero is not about to be tarnished. It's really more of an expose oh, about sort of the Bob Ross estate, some of the business deals that happened around it. Uh, if you don't know who Bob Ross is, just a little backstory. Uh, he was uh, a guy from Florida, sort of a pre-baby boomer, I guess. He was born in 41. He joined the Air Force. He spent about 12 years in the Air Force. He spent a lot of time in Alaska. He was a nature lover. And when he was done, he, uh, through a series of kind of random events, he transformed himself into a, a painting instructor on television. He had seen this other guy do it, uh, on, also on a PBS show, a guy named Bill Alexander, doing these gauzy landscape paintings. He joined Bill Alexander's traveling kind of uh, art instruction empire, and then 
struck out on his own with the help of um, this couple, uh, Annette and Walt Kowalski, who are these kind of mysterious figures who just sort of dropped into Bob Ross's life. And but they helped him get his own show, The Joy of Painting. And on this show, which ran for, I don't know, sort of early 80s through the early 90s, I think, it just became like a sleeper hit. It became a global hit, and Bob Ross just became this sort of PBS, kind of soft-spoken PBS icon. And his show was kind of a combination of painting instruction, but also like sort of self-help and self-esteem messages and kind of sort of Stuart Smalley or something, you know. (laughs) And his famous phrase was, um, there are no mistakes, just happy accidents. Little phrases like that helped Bob Ross become this, this phenomenon. And here's a clip. Bob liked the thrill of watching a new student smile with a fresh, new, beautiful painting. Bob would just make him so happy, it's, it's unreal. It's like, man, did I do this? I couldn't have. Yes, you did. There's a lot going on besides painting. And I think people are aware of that and they enjoy that. There are no mistakes. Just happy little accidents. Some happy little trees. Look at that happy little cloud right there. <laughs> Look at that happy little cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bob Ross. I I mean, love it. I love it. Who doesn't love Bob Ross? I learned a couple of interesting things about Bob Ross from this documentary. One, um, well, one one thing that kind of struck me was this whole idea of these little independent art art schools. You know mm-hmm. the one, the, you know the kind that you would see in the back of the comic book that said, "Draw Snuffy." If you can draw this turtle, <laughs> yeah. If you can exactly, if you can draw this turtle, you could have a career. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny that that Bob Ross started out in one of these, one of these just kind of like independent art course, you know, instruction things. And you know who else did was Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz when he was first doing, yeah, what? that was his kind of his first really? job was working at one of those art correspondence companies and that's where he kind of honed his craft and like started peanuts or at least the early incarnations wow. of peanuts it, it, I just thought it was interesting because they're sort of a thing of the past you know you think of art school now but there used to be these kind of weird art colleges not not colleges but whatever they were anyway like technical school sort of things yeah yeah like a, I mean they were I mean they were pretty low end I think but yet you know they produced Bob Ross and they produced Charles Schultz anyway the other thing was did you know that Bob Ross's hair was permed yes I did you I did, did know that? Yeah, I, I learned that. that. I, I didn't know it when I watched the show as a kid. But as an adult, I read that he did it. And then he just felt like he couldn't change up his look because that was what he was known for. And then it was low maintenance anyway. Once it was permed, he never had to comb it or anything. So that's what I read, at least. I didn't know that. It was so bizarre to see these early pictures of Bob Ross with his straight hair. With straight hair. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. so strange. It was really jarring. Anyway. Just to explain what the title is about, um, the Kowalskis, essentially, after Bob Ross dies, they basically commandeer the business, the, the sort of the Bob Ross empire. His name, his likeness, um, you know, uh, all that Bob Ross merchandise, the paintbrushes, the canvases, the coffee mugs, the T-shirts, the Chia Pets, all the Bob Ross swag, it all goes to the Kowalski and the Kowalski uh, and uh Steve, Bob Ross's son, uh, who was on the show frequently and who idolized his dad, Steve gets nothing. He gets nothing <gasps> from that empire. He's been completely shut out. Oh. And this documentary has actually, I think, uh, started to hurt the Kowalskis financially, possibly, because they've now come out with some statements trying to explain what had happened here and defend themselves and sort of uh, do a little spin. But the reason I'm recommending this is not so much because of all that, which is interesting, but because... The, the movie does do a really great job of showing you sort of what made Bob Ross so appealing. And he just, he really had this way. He was kind of like a Fred Rogers, too, really, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. He, just, he just tried to fill you, the viewer, with this sense of self-worth. And he made the show a safe space where you could screw up and not feel bad about it. And the movie has all these interviews with people who tell these stories about being like depressed and, and ill and suicidal. And they turned the television on and they saw Bob Ross and he like literally saved their lives. And what I liked about it was Bob Ross just had this philosophy of if you make a mistake, just work with it. Just turn it into something else. Keep going. Don't beat yourself up. And, you know, just call it what it is. 
and keep on painting. And I just thought that was a really lovely philosophy. And I know it's not quite, doesn't have quite to do with to-do lists exactly, but there was, there was something about the don't beat yourself up philosophy about Bob Ross that really resonated with me. And I thought it was, uh, and also I thought it was a good documentary and I feel like people should see it. So maybe that might help our listener a little bit. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm a Bob Ross fan and I love his philosophy and I want to find out about these bad guys. <laughs> my third, my 13 year old is a Bob Ross fan. And so, you know, like he's a, he's a total meme, right? He had like a second or third life as a, as an internet meme. Yeah. My niece dressed up as him for Halloween one year. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So once again, those prescriptions are from Rafer, Bob Ross, happy accidents, betrayal and greed. And for me, we are lady parts. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, thanks to everyone who has reviewed and rated us with five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Fanny Dashwood recently gave us five stars and wrote, I really love everything about this podcast, the theme song, the advice, and of course, the movie slash TV recommendations. Oh, thank you so much, Fanny Dashwood. I, I think... Uh, I think Fanny Dashwood, that's like a literary character or film character, right? But that's a, I'm pretty sure that's a Jane Austen character. Oh. When, I, when she wrote in, I, I kept thinking, well, now I have to write a novel and I've got to have a character named Fanny Dashwood in it because, <laughs> and then I thought like, wait a minute. And I Googled it and I thought, oh, someone did it already. It is a character in a novel. I'm pretty sure it's Jane Austen. Uh, just a note, Fanny means something else in my husband's culture, but this is a whole other story. We're not going to get into yes, that. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, stay with us when we're back. We have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years My ago. My God. There is shtick, but it's very little shtick. We finish like. each other's... Sandwiches? Close enough. Was that a joke on a movie? That, yeah, that's from uh, Frozen. Oh, it is. Pretty bad. Ugh. Oh, look at you. I don't want to be like quoting and, Frozen Anderson, on Anderson, this promo. Okay, peek behind the curtain. Anderson's nope. like the Frozen guy. Like He'll constantly reference animated films, family films, and I'm more the edgy indie guy. We do have the tropey thing going on where Brian does like the big Hollywood sexy summer movies. I'm always looking for like the hidden gems. Mm. Two episodes each week. One. We review movies and the first episode and the second one, top five time. Top five, different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, the film ball, check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcasts. That's right. The Film Vault's going on 20 plus years. We are back with our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, who do we have this week and what do they need more of? Well, Eleanor writes to us. She says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently watched all of The Chair on Netflix along with three of my academic colleagues. We laughed and cringed through every episode and had long talks afterward about the many frustrations of life in higher education. We'd like to continue our little academic viewing club with another TV series or movie that speaks to the realities and absurdities of our chosen field. What should we watch next? Ooh, Eleanor. I have friends in academia also who've been watching the show, and I've been texting back and forth with them. I, I worked in academia for a time, so they just thought, oh my gosh, let, let's just gossip. 
Let's just gossip about it. <laughs> <laughs> the chair is the one with uh, Sandra O. Oh, right? Yes. I watched just a little bit of it. I'm glad to see her back. Yeah. So Sandra O. Oh is the new chair of the English department at a fictional kind of Ivy school called Penbrook. And while in this new position, she has to, you know, make her higher ups happy. She has to make the faculty happy. She has to make the students happy. And there are a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of expectations and a lot of the old schoolers who uh, have been doing it this way all along. And why should I change things up now? Of course. And a lot of young people who want things to be different. So, you know, you see a lot of those ideas and ideals pushing up against each other. And you also get to see that a lot of academia which uh, people on the far right might accuse of being a bastion of Marxism or socialism or so open-minded their brains are falling out. What you might see on this show is like, mm, they're just as conservative as everyone else, but just in a different right. way. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've only seen that, like I say, a little bit of it. I saw some Bob Balaban in there. I always love Bob Balaban. Yes, Bob Balaban's always a delight. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, Kristen, what do you what do you got for uh, for our for academic Eleanor? Well, the first thing I thought of Eleanor was a movie that came out back in 2014, which, by the way, has since been adapted into a Netflix TV series. It's called Dear White People. Yes, I love that movie. Yes, and. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard of it, Eleanor, but for anyone else who hasn't heard of it, Dear White People is a satirical kind of comedy drama. It's written, directed, and co-produced by Justin Simeon, and it looks at college life from the perspective primarily of black students attending a fictitious, predominantly white Ivy League college called Winchester. And the students include Samantha. She's a sharp-tongued host of a radio show called Dear White People. We have Troy. He's the son of the school's dean who's studying to be a lawyer, but he really just wants to be a stand-up comedian. We have Lionel, who's a gay student journalist, penning an expose where no one is off limits. We have the administration, who claim to care about diversity and inclusion, but maybe don't actually know what those words mean. And of course, we have a cast of other characters, all of whom are the same in some ways and very different in others, all of whom are butting heads over their ideas and their ideals. Here's a clip. Free speech, my ass. Oh, Stalin quotes for 200, please? Are you joking about this? Oh, I'm sorry. Was I supposed to take free speech my ass as a legitimate suggestion? This is your office's issue, Walter, especially after that episode with Kurt in the dining hall. Oh, all race issues are my issues. This is a student issue. And you are the dean of students, aren't you? The last thing we need is race war in the papers across this country. How do you think the donor base will feel about that? The fundraiser is four weeks away. How bad is this deficit of yours? It's worse. But I want to make something really clear. If this gets any bigger at all, it's on you, Walter. Racism is over in America. <laughs> the only people who are thinking about it are, I don't know, Mexicans, probably. I remember when this movie came out, I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, it was it was so much like so many movies that I loved. It was so much it was so much like Metropolitan in a way, right? It's very, very, very talky, very, very intellectual, brainy, um, self-aware, kind of poking fun at itself, but, you know, but also, also not, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and it also really seemed to owe a huge debt to uh, Spike Lee, kind of across the board. Mm. Um, including, I, like, including how it's filmed, the, the way it looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even. Yes, exactly. Yes. Totally, exactly. Um, yeah. It looks a lot like school days, but it looks a lot like, yes. like, it looks just a lot like Spike Lee in general. And so on the one hand, I found it a little bit, little, you know, a little rough around the edges. I'm not sure if it was his first film, but it has that first film feel. But it also was just, it was so smart and funny and it, now that I think about it, uh, kind of ahead of the curve. I mean, like like I was like I was surprised when you were talking about it. It's from 2014. It seems so long ago now. It's old now. Yeah, <laughs> but I wound up I wound up really enjoying it. Yeah, and even before we had the term cancel culture, which by the way I can't stand that term, but even before that, this was kind of dabbling in ideas of that. And yes. you know, obviously looking at ideas of race and power, wealth, generational rifts, the hypocrisy of higher education. Uh, uh, and one thing it does that I think the chair does also is 
it asks more questions than it answers. And mm. some people might find that frustrating, but I find it fascinating and I find it really smart. And nobody is 100% a good guy or a bad guy, also like the chair. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's going to scratch a lot of those same itches you felt watching the chair. It's going to hopefully lead to some conversations and definitely some moments of you and your friends, Eleanor, you know, looking at each other knowingly and nodding and being like, oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> That's work. <laughs> That's life in the ivory tower. <laughs> uh, it's a good idea. I'm glad. I'm glad you. I'm glad you thought of that one. I'd, 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 I'd sort of forgotten about that, and I knew that it had been made into a Netflix series, but that, but the movie had kind of had kind of faded faded from my mind. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought it back up. Well, I hope you like it, Eleanor. And uh, if you do end up watching the TV series as well, let us know how it is. I haven't watched it yet. No, I haven't either. But it has gotten some really good reviews. Yeah. But Rafer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Eleanor here, who wants more shows or movies like The Chair? Well, this movie's a little bit like my my Bob Ross recommendation. I don't know if it quite I don't know if it's quite as quite as on target as it ought to be. But I chose a movie from 2016, also a long time ago now, called Indignation, uh, based on a Philip Roth novel. Do you know it? Mm, I feel like I heard of it, but I don't think I ever saw it. It's a uh, I mean, the novel itself was pretty obscure, not a novel that you ever really hear anyone talk about from Philip Roth. And the movie kind of came and went and wasn't a big hit, but I feel like the people who saw it were really sort of changed by it. I feel like the people that saw it, it really like made a huge impact on them. So here's what I'll tell you. It's set in 1951. This is going to sound very Philip Roth. It's about a Jewish kid who goes to college while a lot of his peers are being drafted into the Korean War. Uh, The kid is named Marcus Messner. He's played by Logan Lerman, and he's off to college in Winesburg, Ohio. And uh, all he has to do is just get excellent grades and stay out of trouble and do what his parents tell him and he'll be fine. Instead, he meets Olivia Hutton, played by Sarah Gaddon. She's not Jewish. She's beautiful and sexy and a little daring. She's a French lit major. Uh, She seems like she's probably a little damaged, maybe a little crazy. They have a date. She moves a little fast, does something to Marcus that no girl has ever done to him before, makes a big impression on him. And pretty soon, his college career is being kind of uh, disrupted. He's losing his focus. Here's a clip. I see by your transcript that you're a remarkably gifted student. First in your family ever to attend college. Scholarship from your temple. But under religious preference, I see you didn't write Jewish, though you are of Jewish extraction. I'm wondering why that is. I don't prefer to practice one religion over another. Praying to me is preposterous. Is it now? Nonetheless, that is not what we are here to discuss. You're socializing enough? Yes, I am, sir. Have you gone on any dates? Uh, uh, Dates? Dates? Uh, Yes. Yes, I have. One. Just one? Hmm. Interesting, <laughs> Reefer. Now, why are you prescribing this to Eleanor? It sounds um, uh, not quite modern, not necessarily as obviously dealing with the same issues as the chair. Why are you prescribing it? Well, I know that this movie is certainly much more about a kid in college than it is about the people who work at the college. Uh, and like I say, this is a very... It's a. I don't want to use the word enigmatic because that's the term that critics usually use when they didn't understand a film and they just don't want to admit it. But <laughs> it is a kind of an enigmatic film, and there's something about this movie I I sort of can't. And I feel like anybody else who's seen this movie and was and was kind of struck by it feels the same way. You're no one is quite sure what it is about this movie that moved them the way it did. But let me just say that one reason that I'm recommending it is because there are two scenes in it with the dean, the dean of men of the college, uh, Dean Caldwell, Cald- it's Caldwell, no L. Uh, and he's played by Tracy Letts, the great Tracy Letts, the playwright. Oh. Tracy Letts wrote uh, August Osage County, and he's mm-hmm. been an yeah. actor, and he's usually a you know supporting kind of character actor 
eight million films, uh, The Post and um, you know, just a million things. Mm-hmm. The Lovers, a movie that we've talked about on this podcast. And there's this, these two great scenes where Marcus goes to the dean and in one of them, he's got this very simple request to change roommates. He's had a fight with one of his roommates over the girl. Um, and he's people have been punched in noses and he's very angry and he wants to change roommates and requests this of the dean. And the dean turns his request into a, a sort of an inquisition into Marcus's life. And Marcus is just trying to say, I, I, I really, I'm just having a roommate problem. And the dean keeps saying, well, are you having a roommate problem? Is this the way that you always deal with your problems by avoiding the conflict and asking someone else to solve it for you? And and Marcus is saying, <laughs> I, that's not how I deal with things in my life. But this problem is, and they just, they go, they go around and around and around. And they are these, both these scenes, I, I won't spoil the second one. Both these scenes are so maddening and infuriating and um, because the dean just won't let it go and Marcus won't let it go and it just sort of they escalate in this way that I've kind of it it like even thinking about it I like my heart rate is is getting is is getting up I don't know if I can explain the movie any better than that but I guess it just what I took away from the movie was what an important part of your life college is and how it changes you in ways that you sort of don't expect and can never really expect and changes you in these very permanent ways and how the college itself and the people at it can have this effect on you and sort of really alter the course of your life. So I don't know if that's really going to nail it home for, for our listener exactly, but it is just one of my favorite movies, and it has just always stuck with me ever since I saw it. I've always loved it, and it, the movie just fascinates me to no end. So there you go, Indignation. So once again, those recommendations from Rafer Indignation, and from me, Dear White People. And Kristen, I think that is it. We've reached the end of this week's movie therapy. And I'm feeling fine. I am fine, and so are you. I'm fine, too. (laughs) I'm like Crispin Glover. It is fine. Everything (laughs) is fine. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. We really appreciate it. And thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we're proudly a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and The Projection Booth. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together, form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts.